Locate in your Bibles this morning the Gospel according to John and the second chapter, John chapter 2. John chapter 2. That is page 887 in the church Bible. Page 887 in the church Bible. This week, many in the world watched as the historic Notre Dame Cathedral caught fire, resulting in catastrophic damage, especially to the spire and the ceiling. Uh, There was relief the next morning among those who loved the building when the news announced that not all was lost. And the thought that one day in the distant future, after much work, some replica of Notre Dame as it was might rise again over the city of Paris. Nonetheless, there was dismay in some quarters with which I am sympathetic at the speed perhaps, with which vast sums of money were offered to restore the cathedral to its former glory. Money offered to what is already one of the wealthiest organizations in the world, and dishonestly so. Not that such restoration is unnecessary or inexpensive, but that there is so much urgent social and personal need that such enthusiasm and resource would greatly help, but it goes neglected. Some commented on matters close to France, issues surrounding the homeless, refugees, and so forth. Others commented on the spiritual dimension that this, whatever it was when it was first erected and whatever happened uh, at that time, now at the very least is little more than a tourist attraction to some and a place of surface level ritual. To others. Still, others noted that in the past month, three historic black Baptist churches in the USA, in the state of Louisiana, had their buildings burnt to the ground in racially motivated attacks and had received little support. And yet, that's the way, is it not, with treasures? The symbolic is favored over the truly spiritual. And national landmarks receive more investment than a nation's physical and spiritual lives. Imagine if someone had publicly said something that was interpreted as meaning, I am going to tear down this place. And build it back in three days. This cathedral that was built, consecrated, renovated, added to over centuries. That stood tall through generation after generation of triumphs and tragedies. That saw days of celebration and of sadness. That endured centuries of warfare, revolution and occupation. 
the roof and the spire alone of which will take years to replicate. But someone says they're going to tear the whole thing down and rebuild it in three days. What lunacy. That would be an insult to the intelligence of the nation and to the profession of architects everywhere. Around 2,000 years ago, though, an innocent man was unjustly tried and violently put to death by crucifixion. One of the accusations made against him, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Whatever your personal feelings about the Notre Dame Cathedral and what it may or may not represent, perhaps you can now better understand what was going through the minds of those who heard Jesus. Let's go back to the first time Jesus cleansed the temple, knocking over stuff and driving animals and people out with a whip because of their materialistic abuse of his father's house. John chapter 2 tells the story, beginning with verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep. And pigeons and money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he, he told those who, had, who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I want us to just look at those words, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. First of all, destroy this temple. The idea of destroying the temple is offensive enough. This was, after all, the second temple. The first temple was built by Solomon after many years of hard labor and investment. It was itself destroyed. By the Babylonians. The temple was rebuilt after a fashion after the Jews returned from their years in exile. But the Old Testament tells us that it was decidedly unimpressive compared to the one that preceded it. Indeed, it was so uninspiring compared to the old temple that it calls the elderly in the community to weep. Over 500 years later, Herod, the king, would begin one of the largest building projects of his time. 
renovating, rebuilding, and adding new parts to the temple to make it truly impressive, truly glorious, a grand architectural achievement of its day. The work continued well after Herod's death. And in fact, when Jesus spoke these words, the work was still going on in parts of the temple. So, it is to this most recent building project that the Jews refer when they reply with shock, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? 46 years and counting because it's still going. And here this man says, I destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. But Jesus, as the text tells us, was not talking of the second temple. The text clarifies, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Destroy this temple. Destroy this body filled not only with blood and bones, but the Holy Spirit. Batter its pinnacle, my head, so that the windows of my eyes swell shut and and my nose and my my ears close up with caked blood and, and dirt. My mouth parched and dry, my throat torn with shouts of pain. Tear up its walls, my, my back and my front, so that I am crushed and bear more resemblance to a leg of lamb hanging in the butchers than to a human being. Smash through the hallways of this temple, my wrists, my feet, my side, pierced by nail and spear, way down on the beams and arches of this temple. As my shoulders and elbows give way and dislocate. As, my bo- as the weight of my body pulls me down. But the cross and the nails hold me up. Flood the innermost chambers of this temple. As my lungs collapse by the inability to exhale. And both lungs and heart drown in a buildup of fluid and insufficient oxygen. Destroy This temple. It's been loved. It's been revered. It's been celebrated. It's been lifted up in praise. But now you need to lift it up in pain. And so it was. Jesus who just days earlier was heralded as Messiah, was crucified. The temple of his body, to which crowds once swarmed in worshipful, if ignorant, adoration, crashed and burned violently before a city that was, despite vestiges of external religiosity, far from God. Why? Those of you who are 
a part of this church, those of you who attend regularly, ought to know why. Those of you who don't, maybe you know. And if not, you should know. So I'm going to tell you to remind and refresh those who believe it. And to enlighten those of you who perhaps have not heard it before. Someone had to pay the penalty for our sins. Someone had to pay the penalty for your sins. Someone had to pay the penalty for all of our sins. So that we can ask for and receive forgiveness from God. And God still be completely just and fair and right in punishing sin, in exercising justice. Justice is a big word of our time. God has to exercise justice for our sin. But Jesus died not simply so that God could be completely right and fair in exercising justice, but so that God could be completely merciful and loving and gracious in forgiving you and in welcoming you into his family. Jesus died as a substitute. He took our richly deserved punishment. He died as a sacrifice, turning away God's wrath. He died as a payment, settling the debt that we owe to eternal divine justice. He died as an example so that we might live lives of holiness and sacrificial love. One of his disciples, Peter, a man who would abandon him and deny him when he was betrayed, would later write, Jesus did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. If there's any hope, if there's any chance, if there's any way of your sinful brokenness being restored to God's beauty and design, it's Jesus. And it's the ugliness of the cross. It's the sacrifice of the cross. It's the the beautiful tragedy and brokenness and blood of the cross by which we can be saved. Destroy this temple. But that's not all that Jesus said, is it? Jesus said, and in three days, I will raise it up. In three days, I will raise it up. The fall of this temple would not be to failure. The fall of this temple would not be to eternal decay and destruction. Marvelously, miraculously, supernaturally to us, but quite naturally to God who gives life. 
in three days, the temple that was the body of Jesus was raised back up as promised. And it stands forever as a testimony to God's justice, punishing sins, and God's justification, purifying repentant and believing sinners. Those who enter this temple, not this building, those who enter the temple, Jesus Christ, can find in it a place where they freely confess sin. And know, not that some random in the temple, but that the temple itself stands to intercede for them. In its halls, are found righteousness to make us clean. In its chambers, sanctification to keep us clean and set us apart for special use. And upon its pinnacle, redemption that buys us with the price and treasures us and keeps us forever safe so that nothing and no one can take us away. Ours is the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost. God raised him up having released him from the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by its power. Ours is the message of Paul in his letter to the Romans that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Ours is the message of Jesus himself. This is why the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life. Why? So that I might take it back up again. No one takes it away from me. But I lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority... To take it back up again. Those who believe in Jesus. And some of you. I know you might be saying. I believe in Jesus. I'm not saying someone who believes in. Simply the intellectual sense of. I believe that Jesus existed. I believe that Jesus was a real person. I believe that, you know, there was a guy named Jesus at some point in history. But those who who really are trusting in Jesus, who have turned from sin and are committed to following Jesus, confess that because of our sins, Jesus was given over to die. But he was raised to life in order to put us right. With God. That's our confession. That is the essence of the Christian faith. That Jesus is risen to save us. There is no salvation for you apart from the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if you would be raised, you must find your life in his life. In the same way that we share by grace through faith in the benefits purchased by the death of Christ, we are assured of those benefits and we enjoy the blessings of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because we are people of the risen King. That means we have a Savior who is not done 
And therefore, we as his people are not, nor can we say, we are done. Nor, and I speak to those who are weary today. I speak to those who are, who are, who are feeling unwell, who are sick, who are in pain, who are sorrowful, who are melancholic, who are depressed. Nor are we done in by anything that would do us in. Because we have a risen Savior. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said different things. One of the things that he said, it is finished. Jesus said, it is finished. He did not say, I am finished. As though there was no coming back. He did not say they are finished. As though the people who crucified him were beyond any hope of redemption. He did not say you are finished. As though his disciples could stop being disciples and could stop making disciples. Jesus said it is finished. The price for your sins has been paid. Justice has been satisfied. Eternal joy has been secured from the moment of his death. And the grammar, that some, we don't catch grammar even in English sometimes, but the grammar of that is, is something that's, that's present and continuing. It doesn't really have an equivalent in our language, but it is finished means that it is finished today, now, and for an unending number of tomorrows. The price for your sins has been paid. Your future, if you believe in him, is secure. Jesus did not say, I am finished. He said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The crucified Christ would become the risen Christ three days later. And the risen Christ would become the ascended Christ 40 days later. And the ascended Christ is now the interceding, reigning and returning Christ 2,000 years later. Though hanging on the cross... He still had things to do. He still had things to teach on the other side of the grave. And he continues to do this work in us and through us by the Holy Spirit through the word. Jesus did not say of those who crucified him, they are finished. He said, did he not, as his arms were outstretched, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. I don't, I don't think we understand the pain that, it, that, that Jesus was going through. Not just hanging on a cross, but to lift his body up so that he could breathe out to even speak those words. He forced himself to lift up so he could say those words that all of us can hear these years later. Forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Some of the people for whom he prayed would continue to persecute his people. But some of them would go on to become his people. Radically transformed by saving encounters with the risen Christ. Or by hearing the good news shared by his disciples. 
The forgiveness Jesus prayed for while on the cross, he still offers now to you if you will receive it. Jesus does not say to his disciples, it is finished, so you are finished. He said, having risen and on his way to the glory of heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus's purpose with us even today is not simply to work for us or even simply to work in us, but it is his sovereign purpose that he work through us. For the glory of God and the preaching of the gospel, the growth of the church and the good of our neighbors. Jesus said it is finished. And he didn't mean. The destruction of the body of his temple. He meant. Your sins, your fear, your anxiety, your crippling, debilitating fear of death, your slavery to sin. Before Christ, you were alive to sin, but you you were dead to God. Now you are, if you're trusting in Christ, dead to sin and alive to God. In the same way that the resurrection is a redemptive reversal of the broken and bleeding body of Jesus on the cross. Your salvation is a redemptive reversal of everything you have known. Everything you have been. All that has identified you as a sinner apart from God. You're now brought back to him. The relationship's restored. And you're continuing to grow and develop as you follow the Lord. To sinful people seeking a sign instead of the Savior, Jesus had only one thing to offer in this text. He's just kind of messed up their temple, hasn't he? And they say, show us a sign. I mean, if you're going to mess up our place, at least do something. You know, show us something that we can take away from all of this. And he has only one thing to give himself. The crucified, buried, resurrected Lord. A prophecy of a temple torn down and built back in three days. Rejoice in Jesus Christ if you have trusted in Him. Dedicate yourself by the Spirit's power to be a disciple and to make disciples through proclaiming the gospel. Remember the proclamation of your baptism, buried with Him, raised to walk in newness of life. If you've not trusted in Christ, 
Call upon him now. Don't don't leave it. Don't wait. Don't say, oh, I need to clean my life up first, in which case you've not been listening this morning and you've missed the point. The point is you can't clean your life up. You will never succeed in cleaning the mess of you up. That's why God sent Jesus. Because it's Jesus who cleans us. It's Jesus who washes us. Jesus is rich in mercy. Rich in undeserved, unmerited love and favor to all who turn from their sin and come to him in broken but honest faith. And he says, I will not turn one of these away. Come to Jesus. He will save you. He will save you now. Our temple was lifted up so that it could then be taken down. So that it could then go down. So that it could then get back up and go up and represent us forever as a faithful advocate. So that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness.